everybody's weekend this past weekend. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, as for me and my part, uh, I was uh, uh, in Bangor this weekend, actually on uh, Saturday, all the way up in a more northern place here in Maine, Dyer Brook, little town up by Patton, uh, Island Falls area. <clears throat> And uh, uh, had a fantastic day there at an event uh, called the Small Town Summit. Uh, and uh, focus of, of a summit like that on, on uh, small town churches. And uh, very encouraging time. We looked at strength and weakness. Uh, in fact, one of the presenters, uh, he has been battling uh, pancreatic cancer now for 
I don't know, over a year uh, and was doing somewhat well. And here in August found out that he is, uh, uh, his counts have gone the negative direction and the tumor, uh, tumors appear to be uh, growing again. And uh, yet he preached a fantastic message uh, about, uh, you know, suffering and God's goodness in the midst of suffering and how to go on in the midst of suffering. And, and so you take a person like that and you, you think about, um, sorry, I hit the wrong button and that faded me out uh, into the other camera. Um, how we face suffering. You know, here's a man that knows in all likelihood he will die. And um, yet... Uh, is experiencing the peace of God. He's got a wife, he's got kids at home. And uh, how do you face something like that? I'll tell you the dignity and the graciousness with which he spoke of the comfort of God uh, that he is experiencing uh, in the midst of uh, arguably a very, very difficult, challenging time. It was just absolutely uh, stunning, uh, inspiring, encouraging. Uh, could you say that a person facing something like that is certainly facing some anxiety? Uh, I think we could certainly say that a person is facing some anxiety in in that type of a scenario, that type of a situation. Uh, but yet, how do we find God's peace in the midst of that anxiety? Um and we certainly can find God's peace. And we're going to talk about that this morning here in the book of Philippians. We're in the fourth chapter of Philippians. So if you want to follow along, uh, that's where we'll be heading this morning here. Let me get us into this. Last week we talked, uh, concluded the week about uh, making relationship right because that was uh, something that was there in the, uh, in the very, very beginning of the, uh, uh, of the passage. A couple ladies were having a tiff with each other, and Paul basically said, look, ladies, you, you need to try to work out this this difficulty that the two of you are experiencing. And uh, that was the encouragement of the Apostle Paul to, to do that. And um, that launched us into where we are today. Beginning at verse 4, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Now, he repeats the word rejoice. He begins the sentence, and this is the way that the Greek, the English has translated this. Rejoice, first word, last word in the verse, rejoice. Notice it doesn't say rejoice in your situation. It doesn't say rejoice when the... Situation is dire and dark and difficult. It says rejoice in the Lord. We we can rejoice in the Lord. Uh, why? Because he's with us. Why? Because of his goodness. Why? Because of his love. Why? Because of, of the fact that he is near. Why? Because he is the one who will give us strength. Why? Because he hasn't given us what we deserve. You know, we think we deserve all this soft, cushy life, and that isn't at all what we deserve. Uh, we deserve penalty. We deserve death. We deserve 
judgment, and God has been merciful to us. And and so when you think of his mercy, you think of his grace, we think of his nearness, uh, we think of his promises for eternity, uh, then we are able to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, I'm going to take us into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a moment here, and uh, let me let me do this, Philippians chapter 4. Down at the end of the chapter, I'm trying to determine how much I want us to look at. We'll just look at the last few verses. It says, all this is for your benefit. All that he's written to them about his own sufferings, he said this, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we're holding on to eternal life. We are holding on to eternity. You say, okay, but Paul talks about light, momentary troubles. Well, you know, in, let me, uh, let me take us over to, uh, earlier in, in the chapter, uh, to look and see what he has to say about light and momentary troubles. Uh, and then we'll look at another place as well. So at the beginning of the chapter, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. So, okay, that's nice. Those are nice words. You can say those are nice words. Paul talks about being, you know, pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Well, just to help us understand that, that Paul really did have the, the right to um, say what he was saying, uh, I, I want you to see some of the struggles that he had. I, I may have shared this before. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. And he's talking about comparing himself with others. Uh, and he says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He almost sounds boastful in what he's saying. He says, uh, I, I, have, uh, I have worked much harder. So he speaks about how hard he has worked you know, I hear some people complain about working 20 hours and others, others that I know uh, might work 80 hours in a week or more, you know, and so those working 80 hours listening, of course, it depends on the job too. I, I know sometimes that the type of job that someone has, you know, 20 hours might be like work, working a 40 hour week. I understand that. I get that, you know, and others who work 80 hours that theirs may not be as pressing 
But Paul says these words. He says, uh, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. Now, remember, he wasn't in prison because he uh, was a bad guy. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. And there were numerous times, at least at least three times that Paul was in prison. Uh, and he goes on from there and says this. He says, I've been flogged more severely. Flogging. What is flogging? Flogging is being beaten with rods. Flogging is being beaten with sticks. Flogging is, is being whipped. That's the flogging. And perhaps sometimes even the flogging of the cat of nine tails that had um, shards of glass, uh, kind of pressed into the, the leather, so it would tear at the flesh. So when he speaks of being flogged, it could be with, with rods, it, it just like being hit with sticks, or it could be cat and nine tails. Either way, being flogged in that way, Paul says, I was flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. There was a, a custom of not going to 40, which they believe would bring death. They would stop at 39, so beaten to the point of death. So he says three times I was beaten with rods. And this, this seems to indicate, uh, you know, as he talks about being flogged in verse 23, verse 24 and 25 seems to now extrapolate uh exactly what he mean by what he meant by being flogged so three times being rods once i was stoned now he's not talking about uh you know uh, like you might have experienced in woodstock he's not talking that type of stoning he's talking about literal rocks being thrown at him being pelted with pebbles and and rocks and Stones. It says three times I was shipwrecked. So we know we've read at least of one shipwreck, but uh, he mentions three times being shipwrecked. He spent. I, he said I spent a night and a day in the open sea again in the, the Mediterranean Sea, um, spending time in the open sea, lost at sea, thinking we might drown. He says I've been constantly on the move, and why constantly on the move? Well, not only was he carrying the gospel places, but we know sometimes he had to escape various cities that he was in because they wanted to kill him. He talks about I've been in danger from rivers, and danger from bandits, and danger from my own countrymen, and danger from the Gentiles, and danger in the city, and danger in the country, and danger at sea, and danger from false brothers. He says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, I, I just got to say this because it comes to my mind. I, I think of my friend Joseph over in South Sudan as I read uh, verse 27. It says, I have labored and toiled to God without sleep. And that, that's Joseph. I've gone, I've gone, uh, I've known hunger and thirst. That's Joseph. He goes without food. He says, uh, now, cold and naked, I don't know about cold or naked. He has clothes and doesn't get that cold over there, but does get really hot. But then uh, facing the, daily the pressure of concern for all the churches, here's a man that, that carries that concern, someone that I know personally and have seen it. And, uh, you know, uh, he does not have financial support because they don't have money to uh, over there to support their bishop. So he lives by faith. 
Verse 29, he says, Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I boast the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, Lord Jesus, who is praised forever, knows that I am not lying. So Paul talks about all the pressure, and, and he certainly has a footing on which to talk about what we're looking at today. Verse 4 where he says, rejoice, Lord, always again, I say rejoice. He, he certainly knows. He certainly knows. Uh, and so if a man in his situation can say rejoice, Lord, in, in the things that we face, I, I would say to all of us, myself included, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, sometimes we, we look at our situation and we don't want to rejoice. We want to murmur. We want to complain. We want to be angry. We want to be, you know, the Lord doesn't love me. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Look at the Apostle Paul. He gives us an example right here of uh, of all that he had to undergo, and yet the entirety of his life was given over from the time of his conversion till his death to the preaching of the gospel, and yet he suffered much. So he says, "Rejoice in the Lord." Again, I say, rejoice. Let your evident, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When he talks about the Lord is near, now here in verse five, that could mean two different things, and and I think both are appropriate, both are applicable. Um, the Lord is near in the sense that the Lord is with us, but also in Him saying the Lord is near, the coming of the Lord is near. So let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, this is what he could have written. He could have written this. He could have said, do not be anxious about the really big, difficult things in life. Or... He could have written it this way. Do not be anxious about the, the, the minutia of life that, that tends to get under your skin. But he uses an all-inclusive word, the word anything. Do not be anxious. Look at it. Do not be anxious about anything. That goes from the smallest, most minute of annoyances to very significant circumstances like having uh, terminal pancreatic cancer. Either one of those things. Do not be anxious, and those who will choose to walk with Christ can choose to have the peace of God. Do not be anxious. Much in life over which we can be anxious, but the Apostle Paul, who knew the opportunity and occasion of suffering, says don't be anxious about those things. He says rather... In everything, so he anything includes includes all. Everything includes all, small or large, or anything in the middle, from one end of the spectrum to the other. Don't be anxious about anything. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, you know, okay, I can get the prayer part. You can say, I get that. I understand. I need to pray about the things going on in life. But he adds in this phrase, with thanksgiving. 
When you go back and look at the Psalms, friends, as David experienced various different difficulties in his life, and his Psalms would, would be Psalms kind of lifting his complaint to the Lord as he began to praise God for who God was, actually for who God is and for what God had done already, he was able to find the ability to give thanks and praise and worship to God. When we take our circumstances and, and, and stop focusing on the circumstance and start focusing on God, our hearts change, our perspective changes, our outlook changes, and thanksgiving even though we might want to be thankful, we begin to raise thanksgiving to God, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where we are able to have a different outlook, a different perspective. So the instruction that Paul gives here regarding our circumstance is to not be anxious in you know, everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Whatever, small or large, anything in the middle, bring it all to God. And then there's a promise given in verse five, verse 7. says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It isn't a peace that we conjure up. It isn't a peace that we find by smoking a doobie. Uh, it isn't a peace that we find by everything being well in life. No, it is peace in the midst of perplexing times. It's peace in the midst of a perplexing situation. God's peace which transcends understanding, a peace that he provides supernaturally by the work of the Holy Spirit in our inner man. A peace that transcends understanding says, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the idea of guarding is like a whole army, a garrison. Uh, uh, it's like being placed in, a, in an untouchable tower, a fortress, where no matter what happens in life, nothing can touch the peace that God gives you. That's why it says it transcends understanding. It's something that, that we simply just, okay, I understand this works, but God has given me peace. There's a painful circumstance in life. There's a difficult circumstance in life. There's an inexplicable thing happening, which is so excruciating. But yet God has given peace. When we come to God with prayer, when we come to God in thanksgiving, we think about who God is and all that God has already done and what, promise, what God promises yet to do, or even the promise held out to us in eternal life with him, we can begin to have peace. Now, Paul goes a little bit further here in these next few verses, helping us understand other applications, other uh, processes, other things that we can do which can help us to experience this peace. And he says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, there have been times along the way often where churches and church leaders, pastors, youth pastors will use this verse and they'll talk about all the things you shouldn't be thinking about. Well, if you notice the verse, the verse is in the positive, the verse is in the affirmative, the, the, the verse is in the context of perplexing times. And, and so what Paul is saying is rather than think about the bad circumstances going on in your life, what you need to be thinking about are the good things. 
Maybe think about the noble things, the right things, the pure things, the lovely things, the admirable things, the excellent things, the praiseworthy things. Think on these such things. So rather than just the negative that was part of moralistic Christianity, don't watch this, don't read that, don't listen to this. How about what we do read, what we do listen to, what we do watch, and the things of Christ, the things of Scripture. I'm going through the Psalms right now in my earlier morning devotional time. It begins at 4.30, and uh, that earlier morning devotional time is... Uh, I'm reading through Psalms and just circling everything that indicates something about the nature, the character, the works of God. Uh, I mean, there, there, there are complaints in the Psalms. There are prayers in the Psalms. There's uh, the, the psalmist speaking about his own heart and uh, looking at himself or the circumstance. I'm not, I'm not necessarily noting those things. I'm noting what do, what do I learn about the character and the nature of God through these things. So I'm thinking about those good things. I'm thinking about those uh, positive things. I'm thinking about what God has done. So he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, uh, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what needs to consume our minds. Let me put this in a message. I'm just kind of curious how Peterson puts this. Uh, let's pick up at verse 4. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean a revel in him. And, and I can say here, here to that. I'm looking at uh, a comment in the comments section here from an old Shaker hymn shared by Fran Riley. When we find ourselves in a place just right, we'll be in the valley of peace and delight. In other words, eternity. Things are not going to be all all right until then. Or actually, perhaps the valley of peace and delight could be something that our soul ascertains in this life right now. Um through the the work of God in our souls as we draw close to him. Either way, take that to heart. Either way, you can grab hold of that. Now, let me go back to the message and just finish reading this. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Yes, I say here, here to that. That, that, that would be, that, that would be the, the posture and the pursuit of life. Uh, it says, make it... Uh, make it clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them, not against them, help them see that the master is about to arrive. He can show up any minute. So Peterson takes the the the, uh, the position that it's talking about the return of Christ. Verse 6, do not fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. I, I think that's helpful. I'll paraphrase, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it up, summing it up friends, I'd say, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Then he says, put into practice what you've learned from me, what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent of harmonies. Eugene Peterson. 
the message paraphrase. We can have peace in perplexing times. That's where we that's where we land on this. Whatever the whatever perplexes you, whatever depresses you, whatever creates anxiety within you, you bring to God. You contemplate the goodness of God. You contemplate the 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 greatness of God. You contemplate the nearness of God. You contemplate the grace of God. You contemplate what God has done in the past. You you contemplate what God promises yet to do in the future. And in that, you find contentment. In fact, when we go uh, tomorrow, we'll be looking at contentment. So today is peace. Friend, you can have peace today, whatever your circumstance. And that will be my prayer for you, that you will experience the peace of God. Lord, that's our prayer. For those with anxious hearts this morning, replace, including myself, replace anxiety with peace. Lord, I my anxiety... Uh, and it's not like I'm overwhelmed by it, but my anxiety has to do with burdens for the needs in South Sudan. I'm burdened by the needs that are there. Uh, I am burdened, Lord, by the needs of, of raising funds for the, the ministry of doing the Bible college and seminary, uh, a stellar monumental task that I have and feel so inadequate for. Uh, Lord, I am burdened with uh, just the, the changes in, in our own life. I'm burdened. Uh, with the changes in uh, in desires for our children. So, Lord, I, I have my anxieties. My friends, I'm sure, have uh, anxieties as well. Some deep anxiety, some the anxiety of loneliness, some the anxiety of wanting a re- relationship and, and, and looking forward to longing for that relationship. The, some the anxieties of, of what uh, becoming older brings with it. Or what becoming older leaves behind. Any of that. Lord, some that are anxious, just their their being is anxious. Lord, hear our prayer. We, we bring to you our anxieties. We bring to you our fears. We bring to you our discomfort. We bring to you all these things. And ask, Lord, that as you have promised in this passage, replace our anxiety. Replace the perplexity that we have in our soul with your abiding peace. Lord, hear our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.